0: their studio in the feeding arizona building in youngtown arizona it's the boomer and the babe show with pete peters and deborah brown join pete and deborah and their guests as they give voice to 78 million baby boomers from coast to coast and border to border now here are the boomer and the babe pete peters and deborah brown and yes, indeed, this is the Boomer the Babe Show, and everybody is welcome to it. It is 11 o'clock in the morning in Phoenix, Arizona, and it is also 10 o'clock on the West Coast, where our guest is, 1 o'clock in past the lunch hour, maybe lunch hour continuing on a Friday on the East Coast. We hope everybody's having a great day, regardless of where you're listening. Uh, this is the Boomer and the Babe Show. As I mentioned, I'm Pete Peters. Deborah Brown is on her way back to the office studio. She spent the morning in a grandparents' reading situation, reading to our first grade granddaughter's class. I think they were reading Dr. Seuss books this morning. Uh, she was invited by a special invitation by our granddaughter for Grandma Deb to come and read to the class. So she took that advantage, and she really had a great time by what I uh, understand, uh, the little conversation I had with her before she left. So uh, she was out having a nice time this morning and- having a well-deserved break from everything that we do. And everything that we do includes typing up uh people's transcripts and getting them in converting them to ebooks and mini books. Uh Deborah is in charge of that. Uh, she is the editor, so to speak, of many people's books helps build websites and does many other marketing things for people in their businesses. And you can find about the, find out about those on boomerandthebabe.com. We invite you to visit. The website is in a state of flux as we add. As we add new features to what we do, uh, one of the newest things that we are going to be adding or has has been added is straight down the middle, my golf show that we do once a week. I love golf. We talk golf here in Arizona and have some interesting guests. Uh, Last weekend, we were out at the LPGA Founders uh, legends, rather LPGA legends event in Sun City West talk to Hall of Fame golfers uh, Patty Sheehan uh, amongst them, Rosie Jones uh, very very interesting conversations and fun conversations and these ladies are having a good time playing golf uh, on the seniors tour as it pertains to the women All that being said and all that being done, we want to make sure that we have time for our guests and we've got a full hour to spend with her today. Her name is Linda M. Herman. She is a psychotherapist, and we're going to be talking to her about the book that she wrote entitled Parents to the End How Baby Boomers Can Parent for Peace of Mind, foster responsibility in their adult children, and keep their hard earned money. That's a problem. And we wanna make sure that uh we baby boomers can avoid those pitfalls. Uh, Linda, welcome to the babe, uh, to the boomer and the babe show.
1: Well thank you, Pete. Good morning and it's great to be here. And I'm out in Seattle, gray day as usual, but it's not raining, so it's
0: uh, good. Well then you're halfway home. That's <laughs> <right>. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have the rain. Uh that's great. Uh Tell me a little bit uh, about Linda Herman, if you don't mind. If Deborah were here, she would ask you for a two-minute movie, Uh, and that—that is is information about Linda Herman. uh, Well, prior, maybe even prior to being uh, uh, a psychotherapist, maybe you want to go back as far as you like and uh, give us whatever background uh, you care to give us.
1: Okay. Well, I uh, I, re- I grew up and as one of the uh, baby boomers born in 1949, and actually when I started college, at the time uh, I'm almost embarrassed to admit, but a lot of the thinking was, well, a degree is something to fall back on, and 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 I had done very well throughout my school years, so I I never did not think about attending college. I I did college. I taught behavior disorder children, and then. Uh, went to graduate school to become a school psychologist, did that for uh, about 10 or 12 years and decided that I really liked the therapy uh, piece of things better. In the meantime, I had married, had two kids, I've had breast cancer twice, and always interested in writing. I always managed to find ways to write on my various jobs and had written in my entire life. So... Doing my observations of what's going on in the culture, having the opportunity to see an entire generation of baby boomers' kids grow up, and having two sons, I felt I was in a unique position to comment on all this and what I was observing that concerned me in the culture.
0: Well, there there are some things to be concerned about, aren't there? Certainly, I mean, we as baby boomers are dealing with elderly parents and uh, whatever their maladies may or may not be. Uh, we're dealing with our children and whatever their situations may or may not be, and some of us are dealing with our grandchildren uh, as a, as the, the primary the primary parenting role with even our grandchildren. So uh, it certainly is uh, a mixed a mixed bag that we've been called the sandwich generation, and I think maybe it's like a, a, a double-decker club sandwich or something because there's so many parts.
1: I think so, too, yeah. I don't think we envisioned this uh, because it seemed like years ago there was a stronger demarcation between childhood and adulthood, and truly young people have an extended Uh, period of growing up now, and that's reflected when you look at the behavior of people, you look at the economy, and even colleges are taking note of this, and and that young people are having a harder time with what what the psychologists call separation and individuation. I don't use a lot of psychobabble, but sometimes some of those phrases are indeed right on. And so uh, more does fall on the parents, without a doubt, and some of that... We created ourselves. Some just came as a result of changes in the culture and the influence of pop psychology on how we live.
0: Uh, What do you find uh, as a common thread, if you do see a common thread, uh, through the parenting structure the way we baby boomers have been doing it?
1: Okay, I do see a couple threads, and that's something I always pay attention to when people come in. To, for as uh, a client, just what are the threads or the themes that run through uh, their lives? What's going on? Well, uh, one of the threads that I've seen with parents, uh, with baby boomer parents, is that we have been much more focused on our children's happiness than our parents were. Happiness and self-fulfillment, well, those were kind of frills back in the Depression, and so our parents were more concerned with food on the table, and probably raised us more that way that I think the expectation was greater that we had to contribute in most, in most families. But we have become obsessed with this idea that we need our kids to be happy. And of course, we want our kids to be happy. And when I've done workshops, that's one of the first questions I ask, what do we all want for our children? And everybody says, I want my child to be happy. However, It is not something we can deliver directly, just like we cannot deliver self-esteem directly. But we've gotten trapped in this idea that it's important for our kids to be happy. I think parents have become increasingly uncomfortable with their children's discomfort and situations. And because baby boomers have had more resources to uh, give money and experiences to their kids, have willingly done so. Well, the downs with by the way fewer expectations of their children, so and I was real careful in wording this in my book that it's not like we don't want our kids to be successful, of course, we do, but we haven't been that great in demanding the prerequisites of success, which are and which include learning how to manage frustration, uh being a contributing member of the family. Uh, being uh, accountable. We we rescue our kids a lot more. The result is that it doesn't work, and studies have shown that. I always was suspect, I was a school psychologist in the 70s, and I was always suspect of some of the self-esteem programs that were emerging, just telling kids they're great, they're exceptional, well, that message without an accompanying message of personal responsibility and actually holding kids uh, accountable, it really doesn't work. And and now they're seeing that 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 in fact, uh, if you have inflated self-esteem and no personal responsibility, it lowers achievement and motivation and creates narcissists.
0: Well, it's it's almost as if uh, when you were, when you when you were saying that, I was thinking it's almost like that movie, The Secret uh you know it's it's about um, uh asking it will come to you think of it strong enough and hard enough and it will come to you it man- it'll it'll manifest itself. the fact of the matter is what they don't tell you is you gotta go work your can off to get it. And, uh, I think that's what a lot of the parenting has been. You can do anything you want. You, you can be anybody you want. You can do this, you can do that. The, rea- the reality is a kid walks out of the out of the little league field and says, I can be whatever I want. And then he just goes out and, 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 and lackadaisically puts forth an effort, even as a very young kid. And the moms and dads are up in the stands saying, great, Johnny, great, Johnny. Oh, look at Johnny. You're running so fast, Johnny. Johnny's not working that fielding and hitting either, mm-hmm. and you know because he's he's been told that he can just just be just go and 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 it'll it'll happen,
1: mm-hmm. and I
0: think that's where a lot of the fall down is. What do you think?
1: I I agree entirely, and I I can't fault the parents directly because because we're all in the boat together in terms of how the culture has influenced uh, our child raising. There's an interesting thing I, I uh, learned about on the computer or through Google called the gram and the letter N and then G-R-A-M, viewer. And it, will, it actually traces the usage of words and how the heck they came up with this, I don't know. But you can plug in a word and it will show how over the maybe hundreds of years how the word increases or decreases in frequency of use in books, and so some words like hum- humility, you know, modesty, uh, sacrifice, uh, uh, those have dropped in usage. But talk about things like self-esteem and relationships and feelings, those, uh, of course, have zoomed up in their in their usage, and we have become focused on that pick up any women's magazine and there's going to be something about uh, relationships in there and how to be happy and how to de-stress. And and so often we're looking for shortcuts and listening to uh, people who say, oh, you know, we have to protect Johnny's feelings and Feelings do get hurt, and it is, it's something we can work through. We can't go through life just thinking, oh, uh, my feelings have been hurt, uh, a crime has been committed, because that doesn't really teach people how to cope. Remember what our mothers used to say to us, sticks and stones? Yes. You know, may break your bones, but words or names will never hurt you. Well, we know that, that that's an overgeneralization, but that was their attempt at, at, at teaching us something. Hey, you know, we, we can move forward.
0: Mm-hmm. It, it, it's amazing that you would. Uh, that's not amazing. I, that's a wrong choice of words. Speaking of words, bad choice on my part. Uh, it, I find it interesting that you would refer to sticks and stones, that old childhood rhyme that that mm-hmm. we all have heard so often. Because uh, I can recall when my daughter was in school, she came home crying one day, and she said, oh the girls are picking on me. They're this. They're calling me names. They're whatever. They're, they're saying not nice things." And I said, "Well, what do you do? She says, Well, it just bothers me and i and I get upset and I, she was a very young girl, but she was still able to communicate it to me mm-hmm. and and uh and I said, Well, you, next time it happens, you just tell them kini, and you say it with an angry voice." and she said well, what is that uh, well we're of of finnish scandinavian finnish descent and mm-hmm. banasugini means keep your mouth shut oh, and, pupu, okay. and pupu and pupu yusikorva is rabbit ears <laughs> so <laughs> so she will remember to this day pupu yusikorva and uh and she mm-hmm. And she now has a seven-year-old daughter, and I think there's somewhere along the line that she's taught that to her daughter. And you're not cursing, you're not swearing. But I said then when she told me it happened, she, I asked her what what uh, was the result. Basically, I asked, and she said they stopped and their eyes got big. <laughs> Me say, in. Huh? And they didn't bother me anymore because as yeah. far as they were concerned, you were now an alien and you were some, not, someone not to be yeah, trifled right. we, not we to don't to be mess with this girl. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that, that's, I think, we have to tell, teach these kids a, a way to stick up for themselves. But nonetheless, they are also expected to participate. Mm-hmm. And nobody, not everybody gets a trophy just for participating. Sometimes you have to win the trophy. You have mm-hmm. to compete to win the trophy. Just because, you know, a, a certificate of participation that equals the same for everybody, uh, it, it it does not give anybody a sense of achievement, I don't think. And that way it's just a case where eh, there's something else for these kids to, to hang on their wall and then end up in a drawer and then end up in the round file.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I remember one uh, piece of research that I read that I thought was so fascinating, where a woman uh, took uh, two groups of two groups of middle schoolers, and and, and I think she had something like four hundred four hundred students, and she gave them uh, all the same test. And at the end, she told half of them, "You really worked hard. Wow, you worked so hard," and praised their working hard. The other group, she to whom uh, she spoke, she said, you are so smart, you are so great and special. So she did the thing about, oh, you're just exceptional, blah, blah, blah. Well, then she offered them, each group another test and said, this one's a little bit harder. Uh, and the results were that the the children who were told, you are so great and so special, they were less motivated. Only half of them were even willing to try a little harder test. The students who were told you are such a hard worker? I think it was like ninety three percent were willing to to take another test, you know, and that's really an indication of what motivates people. you know, just oh, you're so special because kids know at some level if if praise is kind of phony, you know um, and and so it motivation really isn't just uh something that that well. And this is another whole subject area, but not everybody wants to be the best sportsman sports player. Not everybody wants to is is motivated towards school and uh college and so parents have to take that into consideration as well. But there are ways that are motivating that uh, don't involve just oh you're so great you're so special and 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 then because if people just feel that way all the time then they come when they come into me they really do have that entitlement attitude and that hurts them. Yes. That does not help you know and Absolutely. and they may not want to they may not want to take the crappy job at McDonald's but those are great starter jobs they teach kids how to how to uh, uh, get up show show up on time. I mean, these are skills that we wouldn't have thought of as teenagers, though I'm developing the skill, but a lot of people don't have. They teach them how to get up. You know, we go to work sometimes when we don't feel 100%. Those are attitudes and skills that you can't just get if you're 21 and, and you've never worked.
0: Yeah, if you've missed it.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, if
0: if you missed it by that time, even if you've been, even if you've gone to college, you've scraped by. You didn't contribute to your own education as far as the dollars were concerned. It was just given to you. You had the credit card to do whatever you wanted to, and you went and looked at it as a big four year social out a, a, a social vacation. Um, got away with a degree somehow by some manner, <laughs> who shape or form. Now all of a sudden you take that into the workplace. Many of those folks have a rude awakening, don't they?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and people are looking at the generations X, Y, and, and I guess generation Z are those who just turned 18. That was kind of news to me but those just coming of age they are it's there's some hopefulness here because many of my older clients come in and say oh these younger people they just don't have the work ethic and they will come in stressed because they're doing the work of uh two or three people while the younger person will maybe just do what he's asked to do but no initiative to try you know ask for more or work harder but uh the younger people really are used to being kind of uh more Hand-fed, and so they don't have the. Many of them don't have the initiative in the generation Y in the same way. They don't have because it's been a different life experience for them. They have not had to to uh, work so hard for things, and and they're used to lots of reinforcement. They need, and and so people who study this for workplace uh, reasons are saying these young people need a lot more. Uh, Reinforcement and praise and direction to get them to do what's expected. So, lots of lot of cultural changes. I think it's fascinating myself.
0: Oh, absolutely. I I I would certainly agree with with that assessment. Uh, I I see what 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 I see in my my personal situation with dealing with my uh, daughter, uh, who is now my God. She's thirty eight years old. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but oh uh, you know, they do grow up, don't they uh but and the and the and the granddaughters, I see my method of parenting uh in my daughter, and she is in some ways, and her husband are in some ways parenting their children the same way in that they are expected to do things at at 3 and 7 they mm-hmm. are expected to participate in the family activities even if it's cleaning up the playroom
1: mm-hmm. even
0: if it's put maybe putting the tupperware drawers in order uh whatever you know keeping your keeping your bed clean the little one doesn't necessarily have to make her bed although she tries to like like mm-hmm. to make her bed uh because her big sister makes her bed and and but there is this it's this pass along situation that came from myself my her mother her my ex-wife and uh and down to my down to my daughter and now down to her daughters and 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 it's it's nice to see it flowing downhill because my daughter is a very motivated person. My son-in-law is a very motivated person. They're professional people. They have their degrees. They're raising a great family. Uh, Mm. And I can see the same thing happen for these two youngins. Uh, Well,
1: that must make you feel really good. Well, it makes me feel tremendously good. Mm. I mean, you know, uh, if
0: I were to, I mean, I just uh, were, thinking to myself that if I were to check out tomorrow, uh, I've done what I think I could have done, Uh, the -hmm. best I I could have done given the circumstances that I was working in, which were not always perfect but certainly good enough uh, that I could have that, give them that direction. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry.
0: No, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: Okay. Well, you said something that I think is so important you your daughter and her husband give the little kids things to do that uh they that in essence is making them participants in the family and that is so important I, and I will say pretty much uh without any uh reservation that the some of the unhappiest teenagers I've seen in my practice have been ones of whom nothing has been expected, and so they they uh they fall into this trap of uh, just really being kind of alienated from you know their families or what's going on around them in the family. And they, when I th- start to change the the focus of the family where it isn't on oh gee so and so is unhappy you know we got to keep making him happy he wrecks two or three cars buy him another car that and so he's satisfied momentarily but soon that thrill wears off. Uh, when we change that to this person has some has to uh, do some things and participate, their mood really lifts. I mean, sometimes I've had teens, you know, they come in with a, the co- fourteen-year-olds with coach purses and and um, and if people have a money like that to spend on their kids, and that's that's kind of normal for them, I say you know go for it, help the economy. But if those kinds of gifts are bestowed on the kids. Without any expectations of you know being respectfully treated and you know contributing to the family in some way, it's things are out of whack, and especially when parents go without themselves and and the kids are getting big frills and 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 yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I, I, no,
0: no, no, that's fine. I, I was just, I was just thinking when, when you were saying that, I, it brings back all these memories of the, of the parenting experience that, that I had, and the parenting experience uh, that Deborah had with me as regards my daughter. Uh, when my daughter was 11 years old, is when my wife and I divorced, and then I met Deborah, and Deborah mm-hmm. came into the picture, and uh, she was the female figure, not the mother figure, but the female figure in the in in the in our family. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, there were things that Deborah said, and she and she was so in, so insightful. Uh, the things that she brought to the table were the fact that. No, she really didn't need to have a car in high school, although we were living in a middle upper middle income area mm-hmm. and her friends turning sixteen years old were getting BMW convertibles in Southern California. No, it was okay for my daughter to take the Ford Aerostar van when she we when she needed to have transportation. That mm-hmm. that was okay. And
1: it didn't she, it didn't hurt her
0: it didn't hurt her. Absolutely not. It didn't hurt her. And it was okay that I knew the teachers and it was okay that we knew the teachers and Mm -hmm. it was okay. It was okay that people say, Hey, I saw your daughter up at the mall. And I go, really? She wasn't supposed to be there. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and she learned real quick that uh, Dad has eyes in the back of his head. How did you find that out, Dad? Mm-hmm. That's really not important. The fact of the matter is you were supposed to be there and you know it. And so, I mean, that's a parenting thing, uh, that that old thing about it, it. It takes a village or whatever you want to call it. But the fact remains, I remember there were a couple of times when I was very glad that somebody said they saw her somewhere. They were not saying it to to get her in trouble for mm-hmm. they were just like, "Oh, I saw your daughter," <laughs> you <know>? mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and that was a good thing. That was a good mm-hmm. thing, and for us then to be able to, do whatever we were going to do, to address that situation, uh, then it, then it was on us, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it, it was a it was a it was a great a great deal. And I mean, I remember after she graduated high school, she says, "You know, Dad." And she was addressing Dad, uh, her dad, me, and Deborah. Both we were out having lunch, and uh, she said, "You know, I never thought I'd ever say this, but it's a really a good thing that you didn't get me a, let me get a car when I was in high school." Wow. She said, I, I, "She said I would have been in more trouble than you would ever imagined."
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we didn't buy our car, our children' cars either, and and we could have. And mm-hmm. in fact, some of their friends drove nicer cars than we drove. Yes. Uh, as parents, but uh, they they saved their money and um, and they they bought cars. I mean, when you know, eventually we let them use our cars, but we did not purchase cars for them, and they had to chip in on the insurance and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, it, it didn't hurt them, and they also knew. I mean, they knew that by working hard for something, that they had to take care of it because it was not going to be easily replaced. If if they wrecked the car, you know, we were not going to uh, jump in and get them another car. You know, speaking of the discipline, it kind of is taking me down a little sidetrack. I look at the, our rules like the speed limit, uh, and. We have a, a, well, we've got I-5 here, which, of course, goes down the coast, but um, how many people do we know that just go, you know, the speed limit, 60 miles of the city or it's sometimes, you know, 70 out in uh, between cities? Uh, we don't know very many people who just uh, obey the speed limit rules to a T, but does that mean that it, they're not working? No, it doesn't mean that at all because it keeps the bulk of us driving reasonably safely and some people get caught, but not all the time. And so our discipline or our rules for our kids are like that. We have to expect that there's going to be some pushback. and. And um, But that doesn't mean that what we're doing is not working. In fact, it's a, it's a sign of our kids' growth when they challenge. And parenting, I call it that dance of differentiation when, when young people are maturing and they're wanting more independence and the parents are deciding, oh, how much do I let go of the reins here? And um, And so it can be in some families you know, not a big struggle, and in others it it can be quite an ordeal. And that's another factor. We're talking about these situations that have worked out reasonably well. But there are families where a child comes into this world with a temperament that is really hard to deal with. And I think parenting is always, at some point we're going to be humbled with what happens in parenting. It's not just uh, like we're getting a trophy every step along the way ourselves. But it's very hard for parents who have a child with a, a temperament that uh, that makes it easy for that young person to go astray. Whether it's just the personality style, or a mental health issue, or someone gets into substance use. I mean, especially when drugs become involved or alcohol, it's kind of all bets are off from for what you can expect because then it introduces that whole element of unpredictability, which is really hard, and it pulls in the topics of, you know, baby boomers and parenting grandchildren, too, because many people find that they're having to care for their grandkids because maybe an adult child just is struggling or is, is not able to manage. And we can't, and, and, you know, I think we all know as seasoned parents that it's not all, oh, he just, you know, messed up as a parent. That's just, it's that's a quite an oversimplification.
0: Well, there have been many instances in in my parenting experience uh, that I have seen uh, friends and acquaintances having some of these difficult times with their children. And uh, and we lived in the same neighborhood. The kids went to the same schools. They had the same teachers. We had the same basic values. And... uh, and I would look at this, and, I, and they were a, they were a family that was uh, intact, married, had been forever, and would be until the day that one of them died. Mm-hmm. And and I was uh, from a, a family not myself personally, but uh, our family was one there there was divorce involved and so on and so forth. And yet they had a, da- a daughter that was my my daughter's age, and she was always in trouble. I mean, she was always in trouble always caught doing something always just in trouble <laughs>
1: nothing mm-hmm.
0: nothing major but my god she was on the fringe all the time driving her mother and father crazy Well,
1: how and did I, she turn out as a dog? oh she's fine
0: she's absolutely, well, that's right. <laughs> she's absolutely fine but she was a she was a hellion she was a mm-hmm. rebel and uh and I and I would shake my head and I would go you know there but by the grace of god go i Mm-hmm. Uh, because it would have been just as easy with the situation that my daughter was involved in, though with separated and divorced parents, that she could have found all kinds of reasons and excuses to do whatever she wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> lo and behold, she didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am grateful to this day that it didn't happen.
1: Well, and I'm sure that mom is very grateful, too. But, yeah, I think there there is... The influence of someone's temperament. In fact, in my book, I write about three things that are going to uh, be determinants of of how somebody behaves. And I, and I tell my clients who come in about their children, and I say, actually, it applies to us as well. That um, if we understand someone's temperament, that's what you know. And you're mentioning that young woman was just a challenge. Like maybe from the get-go, that was her wiring. She was into things. She may have
0: been a difficult delivery, too. I don't know. She may have been. And really,
1: you know, it's all over the map. I hear people say she came out screaming or, you know, it was a difficult birth and she's been a challenge ever since. Or, gee, he was fine until third grade or, you know, till second grade or something like that. But anyway, someone's temperament, their developmental stage, like where they are in their development, that's why... Um, the teen years are, are. We have the expectation that there's going to, at least in the Western culture, that there will be some friction and some challenging and some pushback, and and that is considered normal. It's just each family has to decide, okay, what's our limit? You know, what can we take? What's crossing the line? So temperament, uh, developmental stage, and then also um, environmentally, what's going on? You know, if somebody uh is having a significant stress how did they react and if you just take the, those three factors and how they intersect with each other it, it, you can make sense of and i think that's what we try to do we try to understand or make sense of what's going on in a particular situation and and i think there's a lot of good news for parents that uh many much of the friction is time limited you know it, that as people grow up and become emotionally Independent or emancipated, where they can stand on their own, then um, they settle. They settle back down. You know they you can have adult conversations and and. Um, but if if there's a, a young adult who just blows up at everything that the parent says or suggests, I mean, the parent may have some part in how they're presenting things, but often part of it is. To me, I'll just think, well, that's kind of a signal. Maybe this person still is very tied in. And is having difficulty himself or herself letting go of mom or dad, and that smokescreen of you know just getting so furious with these adults with their parents. That's you know it may be that you know a a smokescreen, and you know if we're feeling really independent and self uh, kind of together in the sense of ourself and who we are, we aren't going to probably react vehemently in in uh, what seem like normal situations, anyways.
0: Well, uh, I I think it's it's my feeling that um, the the way the parent reacts to the situation at hand, whatever it might be, whether it be uh, volatile or not volatile, whether it be respectful or disrespectful, but the way the the parent deals with it, in many cases, excuse me, sets the tone for the whole episode, whether it continues or. Or whether it dissipates
1: that's I think that's completely true yeah and and because we we put so much um uh, stock in our relationship with our kids, we don't want them to be upset with us, we don't want them to you know dislike us and if and if we're operating kind of under the premise that i, I my child needs to be happy, I have to and some families get caught in that trap with someone who's real difficult to please, so they're they're always on eggshells and always trying to make that person happy. And, you know, they do one thing and then there's temporary peace in the household perhaps and then, and then another blow-up happens, but... Uh, I've had a parent tell me that they've had, you know, their their kids call adult children. We're talking about very insulting on the phone. If the parent starts setting, say, some financial limits and being verbally abusive, and and so a parent can respond with, "How dare you talk to me like that?" and go on and on, or the parent can respond and say, "You know, I would really like to talk about this. The money situation is important, but I can't speak to you when you're screaming. Uh, call me when you're calmer." Click and and i in um and the one lady told me that her son said well if you hang up i'll never speak to you again and well that was one of those you know idle threats he was the one very dependent she hung up and who called her right back the son oh mom you know so uh you're right how we respond uh, is a is a big factor and we cannot make somebody else change but we can only and we know this in our heads but it's hard to practice sometimes we can only work on ourselves how we present and and i and i cover that in the book how to talk in in those situations if you have somebody that's you know really difficult or being verbally abusive or how to make that gradual change from maybe Giving to the financially to the point where you feel like I can't do this anymore, and and realizing that this is not helping because maybe their young person isn't changing their financial ways, and and how does the parent respond and change the conversation and and start shifting things? So mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's interesting.
0: Well, well, I I know uh, for a fact that when when my daughter was young and. Uh, I lived in Southern California with her, and then she was with me the, through the school year, and uh, and came here to Arizona then to be with her mother during the summer months. Um, and she would go every couple of weekends. She would we had we had the passes on Southwest Airlines and put her on the plane and take her pick her up when she comes back. You know, mm-hmm. fr- Friday after Friday night, Sunday Sunday afternoon type things. <clears throat> but it never failed. It was almost completely without fail. That whenever she was coming to visit her mother, here in Arizona, she would be just about the most obnoxious child prior to, prior to leaving than I, than I had ever seen with regard to temper, uh, nastiness, mm-hmm. just saying no. And finally I said to her, I said, sweetie, you don't have to get mad at me so that I feel okay about you going to visit your mother. I don't have a problem with you going to visit your mother. She's your mother, and you need to go visit your mother. Mm-hmm. So therefore, don't make a battle between you and I about it so that when you're leaving, you get to leave mad, and you get to be right, and your mother gets to rescue you. Your mother's not rescuing you from anything. It's your right as her daughter to go there, mm-hmm. and I willingly allow you. I willingly allow it, and I willingly make sure that you can indeed get there.
1: Well, what happened and, then? Didn't... And
0: at that at that point, things started to settle out mm-hmm. because she realized that she was setting it up so that she could make herself feel good about leaving me because she knew that it, knew that on some level it upset me.
1: Well, and then maybe on some level it would upset her too, you know, being away from. Oh well, yes. But if she could be mad at you. That makes it easier and, Absolutely. and on both of you. So well, mm-hmm. that was very good on your part, and and probably gave her some real pause for, to think about, you know, okay, what's going on here? So.
0: Yeah. Well, the the, the next step of the process was uh, at one point she was over here for the summertime, and I and I there was something going on that I I just didn't agree with at all. And she made a mistake of, of she made the mistake of telling me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just said, Oh my gosh, what in the heck's going on? and so on and so forth and I got and I got a little, little a little upset to say the least. And finally she just snapped back at me, It's my life and I'm gonna da 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 and I said, Well mm-hmm. when you're ready to have me back as your father, you just go ahead and you give me a call and I hung up.
1: Oh wow, okay. I, and
0: she did not call. She did nothing at all. And my birthday was coming up.
1: Uh oh! How old was she, Pink? Uh,
0: she was eighteen. She was out of high mm-hmm. school.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, uh, and Deborah said to me, she says, "Well, she's at a crossroads. is mm-hmm. she gonna she not not recognize her father's birthday for the first time in her life." And I said, Well, we'll just wait and see, because i 'cause I'm gonna be strong and I'm not calling mm-hmm. And my my birthday appeared, came and went, nothing and in Were the you next
1: devastated.
0: Pretty much, pretty much. Uh-huh. And in the next day the next day there was a two or three page letter in the mail with a card explaining her position and saying that she knew that I wanted what was best for her and so on and so forth. But she still had her life to live and she was a young adult and she did have to make some decisions on her own. Wow. And,
1: mm-hmm. and I went, Okay. Mm-hmm. Done
0: Done. Mm-hmm. It's over, done right now and she did it. And and the interesting the really interesting thing, uh the really interesting thing that I found, uh, Linda, was that in later years, she gets married, and she's spending time with us for Christmas and time with her mother for Christmas and time with his parents for Christmas in Northern California, and they're traveling all over. Now they've got kids and you know the whole deal. Mm-hmm. And, and they finally settled and they moved. He got a great job with a law firm here in Arizona, and she's a stay-at-home mom over in, uh, on the other side of the valley. And, uh, and she said, okay, here's the deal. We're living here. I'm having Christmas in my house. And everybody is welcome to come and for Hmm. Thanksgiving. And everybody is welcome to come because we don't want to do the moving. We don't want to move the kids and shuttle the kids all over. And if you Mm -hmm. can come, bring a dish, and not argue, you're welcome. If you're going to argue, stay home. (laughs)
1: <laughs> wow, she sounds like a strong woman. She is one strong woman, and, yeah.
0: and and I am so proud of her. And we get along fine, and I get along with her husband, with her her uh, mother, and her mother's new husband, and Deborah gets along with everybody. and
1: that's great! It, it's
0: I tell this story, and people just go, well, "How'd you do that?" And I go, "She's I don't have any clue." <laughs> <laughs> because oh, i yeah. i i whatever i did i don't know but it whatever and it's not me whatever we all did i don't know i think mm-hmm. maybe we just all grew up we all got older and we all said it's just not worth it for the for the kids and for the grandkids it's just not worth it
1: you're right and you didn't use any guilt in trying to manipulate her to uh for example not do that call on your birthday and uh I, I think that was terrific you really let her be herself and and you were waiting to see okay how is this going to play out but i couldn't imagine that she would have then you know uh, uh just cut you out of her life unfortunately there are some young people who do that there are and, and that that is so hard for parents and and that brings up another whole issue of of how sometimes parents have to grieve the loss of their children uh, and it isn't just by the young- the young adult or adult child passing away, but by the the child's withdrawal from them and that is pretty excruciating for parents. It's really hard and um there's you know there's no easy uh fix to that, but I have known parents who have whose kids have cut them off and and the parents don't even know what they had done wrong and mm-hmm. And so they're just struggling and they're apologizing for unknown crimes, and um, and I do write about that, and, and I have uh, a few chapters where I focus uh, intensively on just a few uh, interviews with uh, several people intensively on in about five chapters on five separate topics, and, and one of them is about when the parents and the adult children are alienated from each other and what that's like uh, for the parent, and uh, and sometimes, you know, I'd like to say everything works out well. It doesn't always. I mean, that's the reality that some parents have to live with, and and then kind of um, find, be with people and family members who do value them, and and move forward. And I am not saying that's easy. And I think those wounds, they can, you know, really be lifelong, but people well, want to manage them.
0: I know people who. Um whose parents are alive people my age whose parents are alive and they have no communication with them whatsoever i mean
1: so people they, like our age range and with their elderly parents have no contact their,
0: exactly mm-hmm.
1: and I, and
0: and those same people have the same type of thing brewing with their children and, and i find that very interesting to mm-hmm. to witness that
1: well, I do think that there's some precedent that is set, and and I've seen that in some families where that's how they manage uh, conflict, and there's this shunning or shut somebody out. That's very frightening uh, for people who are witnessing that in the family because the stakes are high, and sometimes the message is, you don't you cross me or disagree because the same, uh, if not verbally spoken. Uh, A family member may think this. This could happen to me, too. You know, I could be cut out of the the family. And, yeah, one wonders. Usually there is quite a history. Sometimes I do think it's uh, a matter of, like, a delayed emancipation. People people, uh, just were never able to in a healthy way get a uh, a healthy sort of emotional separation from their parents and so the only way they manage it is by severing contact altogether because they can't seem to find a, a middle ground and and you know it isn't usually like one egregious thing happens but yeah it's it's sad i know people who go through that as well and and people who are fine people who maybe have been you know cut out of somebody's life because of well they often don't even know what they what they had done
0: well, yeah, and and I, it goes the other way too, doesn't it? I mean that the maybe they have that they they can't make the separation happen uh cleanly and um I guess the word might be normally if there is if, if there's a use of that word uh involved here. But the other thing is they may never have had the closeness in the first place.
1: That is true, yeah.
0: Uh, that's just as, as dramatic and radical in the other direction isn't it
1: mhm that is true and and people can have quote you know normal by their standards uh contact where it may be you know real intense that they talk with their kids every single day and uh and that and that works for them and then other people who may feel real close who speak to their kids once a week uh, or something like that you know um my sons would probably be irritated if I was calling them every single day. I can tell you that right now. You know, if I'm oh, mom again, what is this? Exactly. And so, you know, uh, so it's it's different family to family. But yes, people can um, people can choose just to to not feel close, or maybe there's been a history they don't feel close, and they, you know, never particularly have. It's sad because one does realize, I think that at times, you know, this is this is it. This is our lives, and we'd like to, I mean, it's real important to have connections. And, of course, some people have what one of my friends calls families of the heart. They will feel closer to people whom they've met and have developed deep relationships with than they're able to do with their biological relatives, so...
0: I find that I find that interesting. Uh, I I know several people that are in a situ are in situations like that. That uh, they may have their own family, their own biological family, and then they have these other people that they spend time with, and they travel with, and they mm-hmm. do every they do everything with, and and their family is kind of like a drop by family. On certain occasions, uh, the family will drop by. There's not a day to day, month to month, week to week uh, involvement, and uh, and. Interaction with so, it's uh, it's very interesting how some of these uh, some of these situations evolve.
1: Mm-hmm. And we're seeing an increase in the uh, multi generational living image. again. Well, you're doing this. You have you're in with your you know your mom and you and Deborah are together, right. and and that's multi generational living and. Uh, families are doing that because of the economy, and also I, I think, well, as as you were, we were talking before we went on the air. It's it can be wonderful in some ways, and there are challenges with that.
0: Mm-hmm. But i yes,
1: yeah, seeing an increase in that with young people because they, it's the uh, economy has uh, forced them out of their homes, or they're realizing, hey, if we pull our incomes we can you know have a two gener two or three generation home so um i think it's again i think it's a real fascinating time in the culture and and i'm interested to see how the like our children's children how that generation grows up and and their take on all this as well
0: Yes. Exactly. I'd like to I, this is one time I'd like to live forever just so I can see how they're gonna handle it. Mm-hmm. What they're gonna what they're gonna do with it with it once they once we're out of the picture and how are they gonna handle it to handle the situation? We'll be standing on the other side of the glass wall going, No
1: Yeah, don't do that <laughs> uh, Pete, do you think that um that the the temperament or mood of the nation has shifted to where people do uh do expect uh, that the the government is is going to have to help them and th- there may be less entrepreneurialship than say what you know we were able to do or accomplish
0: wow i'm getting asked a question huh? yeah <laughs> um we said
1: this is a chat so
0: yeah i understand mm-hmm. uh I'm not trying to be middle of the road but I I can see how the people that are entrepreneurs I consider myself an entrepreneur have uh have the sense that uh we can change things as entrepreneurs we because can. I we can yes that okay, we definitely good. that we definitely can. Mm. I do think that in many cases we are held back by the government not because they're stifling me, not because of regulations, and particularly in what I do. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's not an issue with me, not the hiring situation, not the insurance situation. Those are not issues with me because when they say small business, they're talking of hundreds of employees. I've got me Mm -hmm. in depth. So Mm -hmm. we're we're micro business. We're solopreneurs. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't affect me in that respect. I can understand how um, there are, because of the lack of the governmental officials making uh, making decisions rightly, wrongly, or indifferently, they don't do anything. Uh, it causes problems, and more and more people possibly are having to uh, be dependent on the government simply because they have no other place to go because nothing's being done to help them. Mm-hmm. Nothing's being done to help them become an entrepreneur, or nothing's being done to help them, uh, based on the fact that they were displaced through no efforts of their own, uh, right. and, and that's and that's problematic. So mm-hmm. I can I can look at both sides of that fence. Me mm-hmm. personally, I don't care. You know, mm-hmm. Debra, Debra and I have this kind of this smart assy kind of way to look at it and say you know what we just choose not to participate in this crap and we're going to mm-hmm. go on doing what we do mm-hmm. and uh that's just the way we are uh but other people that don't have that strength don't have that capability don't have the ability or the knowledge um they're strapped they're mm-hmm. they've got to be strapped and yeah. maybe the government is their last hope
1: yeah. Well, I've I've uh, read about Germany and how they have a quite a system when students get to high school where they uh they, the government or the schools team up with private corporations who uh give them uh job training. I think they're paid during this time and when they finish, they actually are certified with some high-level technical skills. And and so when they come out and they know they're going to have a job and I wonder sometimes about the idea that you know we have to make college for everybody because it is not and and I know people that are brilliant who don't have college degrees but you know who may be uh electricians and you know uh have all other kind of skills that we absolutely need in this culture and uh and and they do very well financially lots better than you know Many of us, so right right, uh, so I think that something that could be done and when it'll happen, maybe it is happening now is is really looking at the educational system and how can we prepare people for for real life jobs I mean someone having a philosophy major when we were in college was was doable and because they could still get a job and often in bus- in the business field, but now. And that's part of this multi generational living. We've got young people coming out with bachelors degrees and and they're getting jobs that formerly went to high school students because Uh they you know, they unless it's something very technical or computer oriented, the liberal arts degree, you know, art philosophy or something isn't going to pay a bill. So so I'd love to see somebody uh take a good look at education and I- I'm sure somewhere that is happening and I hope there's some great programs out there. Um well,
0: well about... I think somewhere I think somewhere along the line we've missed the boat. Uh we've missed the boat with regard to everybody needs to go to college. Mm-hmm. Uh and I will I will concede that everybody needs to have conceivably more education than high school. But it doesn't have to be a university. It could mm-hmm. be a trade school. There's mm-hmm. still needs for mechanics. There's still needs for electricians and plumbers and roofers and uh, any and any of the trades, that you can imagine. These are things that are not going to be done by robots. Uh, mm-hmm. People need to learn how to do that. People, where we've missed the boat, I think, is education, education, education. Use your mind, use your mind, use your mind. And all of a sudden, using your hands is dirty. And I don't mm-hmm. mean just physically because you get grease under your fingernails. It's, it's just thought, you're thought less of if you have a, if you have a, if you're a tradesman. And mm-hmm. And and I just think that is so wrong because I've got a great mechanic, and I'm glad I've got him. And I tell you, I don't want to get the grease under my fingernails because I don't know the first thing about it. I'll put my fingernail in there, and my finger will be off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> so but that that's why I have Wally because that's, mm-hmm. Wally's my man. And I take my car to Wally, and I say, Wally, is it worth fixing? Uh, do I need to fix it? What's the status? And he will give me a straight scoop. And I trust him implicitly when he says it. And those are positions that are well, well needed, very much mm-hmm. needed in 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 this society. The same for the plumber that came to fix our toilets. The same, the same for the uh, electrician that came to, to reroute some uh, some circuits. All of that stuff I couldn't do. I- could mm-hmm. I do that? Yes, I could. I could also fry myself doing it.
1: Right, or work all day and then call the plumber the next day, right? <laughs> and, and,
0: and pay twice as much because I bollocked up everything. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so we do need uh, those people in our lives because we don't we don't have all those skills and and they all become more and more technical and and what's required to do those you know jobs so. Well, yeah. I, I how are we doing on our time here? Well, yeah. I, we're
0: we're getting right down to the short rows here. I was just about to say, and uh, what uh, what I'd like to have information from you, and if you would go so would be so kind as of to tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you, uh, get a hold of you, uh, whether or not you do anything via the phone. Um, do you have classes? Do you travel? Do you speak? Where can we get the book? Uh, Anything you want to tell us about how uh, you might be able to benefit from this hour you spent with me, and uh, this is your time for your shameless self-promotion.
1: Okay, so here it comes. Well, Parents to the End is available on Amazon and through Barnes & Noble, uh, I also can directly uh, send people copies, so people can buy them through me, and I will send autographed copies if people would like them. And can reach me most easily through just going to my website, which is uh, www.lindaherman.com. I also have a blog, parents to the end.com, that links to my website, and I am available for uh, speeches and. The book officially was released January first, so we're pretty uh, newly out there. It's published by NTI Upstream. I'm getting a terrific response and lots of wonderful reviews. So I'm expecting uh, to do more radio and in uh, live presentations. So it's it's real exciting for me. It's quite a uh, been quite a journey, and I'm I am enjoying it.
0: Well, I tell you you certainly uh you certainly sound as though you are enjoying it and you've got a wealth of information uh uh, in the book i was as I was looking through it and some of the, the templates and the questionnaire pages and so on and so forth to help people uh find some direction it's just wonderful i think I like the way it 's written and uh and I like the information that 's available and if you 're available to even uh give it some further light uh that's that's even better and I certainly uh can appreciate what you're doing. Being being a being a parent that has uh, raised uh, an adult child and uh, raised a child to adulthood, and she is on her own and successful and knock on wood, um, mm-hmm. she ain't coming home. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it's a big thing. And it and as you know, I'm sure it is a real sense of accomplishment if you've accomplished nothing else in your life, uh, if you've raised a child. That is a that is a good citizen uh, and well informed and involved in the community around them. I think you've done a pretty good job as a parent.
1: I do too, and and that's interesting and a great choice of word. A good citizen. We're not just consumers, are we? <laughs> that's <laughs> right. The there's, citizens, there's, contributors to this sort of the moral fabric of the, the culture. I think it's vital.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I just well, I just compl- couldn't agree
1: with you more. Well, I am so happy to have spoken to you. I just think this was a great hour. I I thoroughly love doing it. And if if the opportunity arises in the future and uh, we can have another conversation, I would be happy to do that. And you've been a great host.
0: Well, thank you very much. And I'm sure we can arrange that. I know just the guy that can uh, put that on the schedule.
1: Sounds great. Okay.
0: <laughs> thank you very much, Linda. Take okay, care. Okay.
1: Thank you too. Bye bye.
0: By now, and we've been talking to Linda Herman. Uh, Linda Herman is the author of the book "Parents to the End: How Baby Boomers Can Present uh, Can Parent for Peace of Mind, Foster Responsibility for Their Adult Children, and Keep Their Head." Hard earned money. I'm stumbling over that one. But nonetheless, Parents of the End, Linda Herman. And you just look for Parents of the End, Linda Herman, I'm sure you're going to find it. All that being said, we hope you've had a great time with our show today. We certainly enjoyed it. I enjoyed talking to Linda. We'll be back uh, next week with more great shows. And I think we're going to have some replays, possibly. This has been a featured show on Blog Talk Radio. And we appreciate the fact that Blog Talk is featuring us on many of our other shows as well. And I think we're going to have some replays features coming up this weekend and we hope you'll watch for them blogtalkradio.com forward slash boomer and babe for all of our shows on the archives thank you very much for listening have a great weekend everybody and we hope to hear from you and see you again later take care To the Boomer and the Babe Show where we bring interesting conversations to the world. Be sure to follow us on Twitter where we tweet as Boomer and Babe and on Facebook as Pete Peters 47. As always you can friend us on blog Talk radio or sign up for our newsletter at boomerandthebabe.com. Email us at host at boomerthebabe.com with any of your comments. Remember, at
1: 50 you're just getting started.